and welcome to Pound the Rock, an NBA podcast by The Score. I'm your host, William Liu. I'm joined, as always, by Joe Wolfond. What up? Um, Cash is once again on vacation. Cash, again, like we said many times, man, we, we envy his life. Uh, his whole Cash. life's a vacation. Yeah, yeah, we can say that. Um, but, um, yeah, so it's up to the two of us to hold down the fort. And quite honestly, there's not too much going on. Um, we are going to talk about... The situation in Minnesota, uh, there's a report that Jimmy Butler is open to signing in Los Angeles next summer, and, you know, there's some noise around what they're going to do with Carl Anthony Towns going forward. There's some noise out of the Sixers, who basically refuse to hire a GM unless they're quote-unquote elite, um, and we'll see if their owner is a little bit meddlesome there. We'll talk also about Ben Simmons and this jumper, and look at some teams that are poised to regress for the upcoming season, but let's start here with probably the most important news of the week. Uh, Manu Ginobili has announced his retirement after 16 seasons, the four-time M- uh, NBA champion, um, obviously all with the Spurs, Olympic gold medalist, um, EuroLeague champion, two-time All-NBA, six-man of the year, two-time All-Star, um, and, you know, his statue is already up in Buenos Aires, beautiful Buenos Aires by the Ecological Reserve. Joe Wolfon, let me ask you, your favorite memory of Mono Ginobili? I think it would have to be that dunky three down on Bosch in, I think it was game five of that 2014 final series where mm-hmm. they just like absolutely beat down the heat and put that series away. Um, I, I just uh, remember being <laughs> like utterly stunned by how quickly he could still get up. And yeah, if I had to pick one, that would be it just because. I don't know. He in that series, or maybe it was like the the year before in 2013 when he had like a really he bad was finals, awful, awful. Um, and it and it just seemed like he kind of had one foot out the door at that point. And like we're talking about five years ago now, mm-hmm. when he looked like he was done. And then you know he comes back the next year, they win the title, obviously. And and four years later, we're still talking about him. So um, incredible career, you know, from just like longevity to influence, creativity, um, and obviously what he meant you know to a four-time championship core like at being at worst you know the third most important player on that team and I think sometimes probably the second most important player on that team if you want to talk about you know get very specific that 2005 playoffs he was probably the most important player on that team like he was yep utterly insane uh that postseason run and was that, that was the time they played the Pistons, and it was like the NBA was on the brink of <laughs> yeah, it was, shutting it was, down because all the finals games were like 60 to 62. <laughs> like, it was tough. That was a rough series, but um, I just remember being like so, so in the tank for that Phoenix Suns team. Right. And not just because they, you know, were extremely fun, but also because I was just like a huge Steve Nash stan. Yeah. And I was so convinced that that was their year, and Ginobili just utterly picked them apart in that series. So, um, yeah, I mean, just an unbelievable career, and also one that I think speaks to sacrifice probably more than any other you know great player that we've ever seen. A guy mm-hmm. who was willing, like pretty much from the jump, to be a sixth man, you know, to subsume any ego and and forego any personal glory for the sake of that team. Like, I don't think that works without him making that sacrifice. So. Right. I mean, you haven't really seen star players just voluntarily come off the bench. Like, you've seen great players come off the bench later in their careers, right? Like, you can think of guys like Kevin McHale or whatever. But, um, yeah, Mono just from the jump, willing to take that role. And always being a guy that's – I just think that the one thing that really stands with Mono is, like, um, he was just so competitive, right? And that, that speaks to this, that form of – being humble and coming off the bench and playing your role speaks to how competitive you are because being competitive isn't just about scowling after you dunk and like hiking up your shorts or biting your jersey like Kobe Bryant. It's it's also just like um, doing whatever it takes to win. And obviously Manu in that six-man role, arguably the best six-man of all time um, when you look at his entire career. Um, and, you know, it was just very clear that Manu always just – wanted to win more than anything else and I think in terms of what he did for the Spurs I think he he added a level of creativity and a, a level of um ram randomness to the Spurs almost right because otherwise the Spurs were just so calculated so methodical and it worked for them but they needed that extra edge in a lot of these games um my favorite moment for Manu actually wasn't um you know in the NBA it was actually uh, in 2004 at the Summer Olympics when um, Argentina won gold 
at Athens. It was the first time in 16 years that a team other than the United States won gold in basketball uh, at the Olympics. And, you know, since then it also hasn't happened. Um, but Mata was just phenomenal just throughout that entire run. Obviously, the, the leader of that group, uh, the golden generation, with Luis Scola, Carlos Delfino, Andres Nazioni, Fabrizio Alberto, and obviously Ginobili is the, the leader of that group. Um, but in that uh, in that game against Team USA, which it was not the strongest Team USA, I, I have to admit, it was Allen Iverson and Stefan Marbury sharing the same backcourt. Lamar Odom was like their best big man. Tim Duncan had a weird game. LeBron played three minutes. Dwayne Wade shot one of eight from the field. Um, but Mono Ginobili was the best player in that game. 29 points in 32 minutes, 9 of 13 shooting to lead all scores. Um, and he just, I mean, I just think he dominated that that team. Like, he, he was so good. And I think people didn't have a full recognition of how good Ginobili was at the time because he was playing that Spurs system and he was coming off the bench. And it was that one moment where I was like, all right, let's see what Mono can do leading his own team. And they won everything. They won it all. And there was also that moment where... You know, he hits that game winner against Serbia Montenegro, um, you know, where Serbia scores. They're, you know, Argentina is down one. There's like 3.5 seconds, and they somehow inbound the ball, race up the court, and Manu is just streaking to the rim, and he jumps off his off foot. He's off balance. He's going away from the play, and he's shooting with his left hand, not his right hand, so it's even harder to, to, to you know, get the shot up, right? If you're shooting with your right hand, you can at least, you know, float off the backboard and bounce it in. Manu shoots it with his left because he's a lefty, and he some, if somehow floats into the rim. And it's one of the greatest Olympic basketball moments, especially in recent history. Um, and, you know, the fact that Mano Chinuma was able to do that for his country. I mean, he's not, not many players have won an NBA title, EuroLeague title, and also uh, an Olympic gold medal. So congratulations to Mano. It's, it's such a phenomenal uh, career. And it was also very enjoyable to see the outpouring of support after he announced his retirement because it really did seem like um, – there are very few universally adored athletes um, nowadays, especially since everyone is always up for debate all the time in terms of their greatness. It seemed like everybody loved Manu, and um, maybe it didn't start out that way because he flopped a lot and people were a little bit more xenophobic towards you know foreign-born players, but I think everyone came around on Manu, and it was really nice to see that moment of celebration. For sure, everybody came around on him, and it's funny. Like I remember, I guess this is more anecdotal than anything, but it seemed like early in his career everybody first of all i feel like everybody associated him with this idea of this like european stereotype Mm -hmm. like people called him like a soft euro and like the move that he kind of brought to the mainstream was called the euro step even though he was not european but like that was sort of the association right like he was this guy who was just going to be really annoying who was going to flop um and who was he did flop he he flopped but like (laughs) look i don't think he did it like any more than any you know other american-born yeah, players true, who, who kind of embodied that same that same sort of attitude um and you know it was effective and and i think it, it definitely took a bit of time for him to outrun that stereotype um and for people to recognize that he was actually just like an utter joy to watch mm-hmm. uh regardless of how annoying it might have been to have a team you like play against him like i, I think and for that whole Spurs team, really, I just feel like longevity did them a lot of favors in terms of their public perception. Right. Like, in those early 2000s teams were maligned for being boring, uh, for, you know, being hyper-regimented, for not being fun to watch. Borderline and, dirty. Yeah. Well, I don't know Let's about be that. real. Come on. Robert Ory tackling that, All right. That was, Nash, that was one Bruce instance. Bruce Bowen, his was, entire existence. Okay. Mono's yeah. flopping. All right. You're making good points. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, like... I think, you know, in time, uh, th- those labels started to fade. And I think part of that was Popovich kind of softening to the idea of letting Manu and Tony Parker, to a lesser extent, I think, be a little bit more improvisational. Right. And, you know, I feel like Manu, in a way, like, I feel like this was a detail maybe in Zach Lowe's story that he wrote about Manu a couple years ago. A but phenomenal like, story. Just one of the best. One of his best. Um but Manu just kind of wore Pop down eventually, you right. know, like Pop wanted him to play this more sort of system oriented style of basketball. And ultimately, like he recognized that he just couldn't do that. You know, he had to let Manu be Manu. Right. And and that that made the Spurs a completely different team. You know, like they they became a more sort of free flowing, pass happy, mm-hmm. um, read and react type of team that, that wasn't really playing inside this kind of structured system. Right. Offensively, anyway. Um, and 
that, you know, I think Manu deserves the bulk of the credit for that because Tim Duncan pretty much, you know, till the end of his playing days was, you know, that guy who, who basically had like, you know, three or four really effective moves in his pocket who never really strayed too far outside of his comfort zone and just like everything that he did well, he did it like to a T every single game. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ginobili, I feel like, created the sort of shape-shifting element around him that made that, that team a lot more fun to watch. Yeah. Um, going back to what you were saying earlier, do you feel like Mono Ginobili changed the culture in terms of what it meant to be uh, a non-American player? And is he the best non-American guard of all time? Um, I mean, I wasn't around to watch, like, Drazen Petrovic, right. uh, you know, or Pete Maravich or any of those guys, so I, I can't really say for sure like he's probably the best non-american guard that i watched okay uh, i'm just thinking off the top of my head right now right um i mean i think between him and dirk like those two guys were right. really instrumental in, in changing that paradigm a little bit shout out page stoyakovich one time yeah page for sure yeah. page in his peak was Amazing. incredible but Amazing. like his his peak was just so short the most efficient raptor of all time <laughs> that's right he showed up for two games and has like shot a, two for three from three he's like a 700 true shooting percentage um but yeah, I think I think you know for this generation of players, it was it was Manu and it was Dirk. Um, but you could see like that stigma still kind of survived. Yeah, like, of course. Porzingis still got booed on draft night, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, so they I, were I dying think, for Jaleel Okafor. Right? That's right, <laughs> man. Uh, like you know the, those yeah. those stereotypes do still exist, um, mm-hmm. and I think in some people's minds they're never fully going to go away because the busts for whatever reason tend to you know stand out a little bit more than the success stories like everybody remembers right you know Bargnani and Tiskitschvili and you know all these other (laughs) yeah Darko yeah um so I mean I think Manu obviously had had a lot to do with with changing that perception um and probably Dirk more than anybody but like uh I do think eventually you know and, and the more types of these players that we see like you know Porzingis I think had a big hand in in changing that perception as well and maybe Luka Doncic will um if he lives up to expectations so uh yeah I think ultimately you would hope that that xenophobia starts to die down a little bit and uh and people recognize that look like these these players are all different you know and like Mm -hmm. where they come from does not pigeonhole them into some box uh, of of what kind of player they're going to be um I mean, maybe some of it has to do with like there's an idea that people in the Euroleague play a little bit differently than sure. than they do, you know, if they're coming up through the American ranks. But I basically think basically the difference is just they're not dunking and they're playing more zone defense, right. which is like okay, cool. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know, no, it's still I don't... basketball. It's still high quality basketball, and, and like I think we should thank um, a lot of the European influence um, that we now enjoy in the NBA sphere in terms of how the NBA game is played, because like, let's admit it, man, early two thousands basketball was a lot of one-on-one. And while the one-on-one is very fun to watch when those misses happen, it looked so bad. There's no movement. There's no cutting. There's no shooting, nothing. Right. So, um, for a lot of these players who imported that style, you know, like you think of Mike D'Antoni, you know, he got his system when he was coaching in Italy and, um, you know, a lot of these influences sort of came over from Europe in terms of how to spread the floor, having fours that didn't necessarily play in the paint but played in the perimeter, um, and a lot more pick-and-roll game. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that influence. And I think those Spanish well, guys, I think, had a lot to do with it that as too. well. Like yeah. the, you know, those, those Spanish national teams were, like, really big on – obviously, like, the Spain pick-and-roll has become really yeah. big in the NBA and, like, the way that they moved the ball. Um, so, yeah, I think – it's definitely been a good thing as far as the you know what the product has become in the NBA, like kind right. of absorbing elements of of more European or you know more um, international style basketball. Yeah, um, and I think not, that's not a where thing. that's where like Ginobili also there's a deserves a ton of credit in terms of just like he was part of that wave of players that kind of um, spread the game globally, right? Like you look at players like Hakeem gets credited for spreading the game to. Uh, Africa, right? Like Yao Ming gets credited for spreading the game to Asia, um, and Ginobili gets that same credit for spreading the game to South America because, like, he's basically every Argentine's favorite basketball player, right? There's a lot of there's a lot to pick from, really, and there's, they're all very likable. But Ginobili is that guy, and uh, um, you know, shout out to Ginobili, man. We're gonna he's gonna be missed for sure. Um, shout out to the one guy whose favorite Argentinian basketball player is Andres Nocioni. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> Nocioni, Fabrizio Alberto. <laughs> uh, uh, 
Fabrizio Alberto seems like a sounds like a delicious cheese. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on. Um, let's talk about players that are still in the NBA. Um, oh, also by the way, breaking news: David West is retired. Got to remember David West. Great career. Yeah, honestly, like favorite David West moment, real quick. <laughs> was it the time he randomly angrily kissed Tristan Thompson? Yeah, I was gonna say that's like the one that sticks out. He, he was not the kind of guy who pr- produced like these indelible moments, right? That's he was true. Just, he was super. Steady. He was more Tim Duncan than he was Mono Ginobili. That's right. Yeah. Um, but really, a great career for him. Yeah. And um, underrated I, from the Pelicans days, or I guess the Hornets. The days. Hornets days. Yeah. No, he he him and Chris Paul like those couple of years when that team was actually clicking, like. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a fun team. It was. I really liked that team a lot. Um, shouts to Peja once again. Tyson Chandler. Uh, yeah. James Posey. Mo Peterson. Yep. Um, no, that was... I mean, he... I think he had a really solid prime, but then also, like, his kind of reinvention late in his career was right. was also, like, you know, I think a really interesting turn for him. And, like, when he went to that Pacers team, mm-hmm. that was kind of what helped transform that team right. to the defensive juggernaut that it became. Yeah. He was really instrumental there. And and then, of course, you know, uh, declining his $12 million option so that, that he could go sign for the wild. minimum <laughs> for the minimum with the Spurs because uh, he wanted to compete for a championship that badly. And um, the Spurs didn't even go anywhere with that necessarily. But then he went to the Warriors and won two titles. Right. And, in terms of just guys who go ring chasing, like, I'm so thrilled that David West got a ring, right? Because, like, David West is always that kind of guy who deserved to win a championship, didn't necessarily have the players around him except for in um, New Orleans. Um, and he was always part of these successful teams that just lacked this, like, you know, over-the-top superstar yeah. that you need to get you to win a title these days. And he was important there, you yeah. know, until the end. Like, last yeah. season, I think. Solid was, regular season It was uh, the highest highest assist rate of his career, highest mm-hmm. block rate of his career, I think, yeah. um, in, like, his 18th season. So Had in- incredible chemistry with Ian Clark on back cuts. That's a deep <laughs> cut for Warriors fans. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we lost two of the greats, I guess. Um, anyway, let's uh, move on to, uh, like I said, players that are still in the NBA. Jimmy Butler is still in the NBA, not necessarily still in Minnesota for too much longer. Um, a report came out from Eric Pincus uh, that Jimmy Butler is open to signing in Los Angeles when he becomes a free agent in 2019. He has a player option, but he's going to turn that down. Um, he's already turned down an extension from Minnesota. That was mostly a financial decision. However, uh, it doesn't look great in Minnesota. And if honestly, if We've talked about this before, but if if you're running the team, if you're Tibbs and Scott Layden, like you got to sit down with Butler and really have a frank discussion about what do you need to see from this year for us to keep you? Because otherwise, you can't just let him lose, you know, walk for nothing. And not after you traded, um, you know, Levine, Chris Dunn, and also the pick that eventually became Laurie Markkinen for him just for a one and a half year rental. Yeah, and I think you know. I don't know what it's going to take from the Wolves, like what they have to do in order to convince them that it's going to be a tenable situation long term. But if they basically go out and do the same thing they did last year, you know, high 40s wins or even low 50s wins, like I don't think that that's going to be enough. And and I mean, the result is one thing, but the process I think is another thing as well, where he's going to have to see some sort of improvement in terms of attitude and work ethic from wiggins and cat right because mm-hmm. that's what we heard all season long was he wasn't really feeling the attitude of those guys and he likes players that plays defense and those two guys don't play defense right. it's a big issue so i don't know man like i i don't see him staying beyond this season and i've said on this podcast before that for that reason i think they should be starting to explore trades for him because right. his trade value is only going to depreciate over time he, he's in a contract year he is coming off a you know a non-contact or a minimal contact knee injury that required surgery, so mm-hmm. that's a little bit scary. Um, and you know, Thibodeau's out there being like he doesn't buy into rumors that Jimmy Butler wants to leave, but they're not really rumors. Like a lot of this stuff is coming directly from his camp, right? Like you know, intentionally being leaked about him being kind of unhappy with what's going on there. Yeah, him having plans to team up with Kyrie in New York City, which right. I, I still. Have some doubts that players actually want to sign with the Knicks, but Butler's also one of those guys that you know he really rubs elbows with like the more famous players out there. Like him being part of that 2016 Rio Olympics, we've seen many examples of uh, these players going on Team USA trips, whether it's the FIBA World Cup or it's the Olympics, and they start talking, they start teaming up. I mean, Kevin Durant got the idea of joining the Warriors from 
Steph Curry in, I don't know which World Cup it was, but one of them, Andre Godala, was also there. Um, obviously, the famous example of the, the big three forming, discussing their future at the Beijing Olympics in 2008. Um, and, you know, Ky- Kyrie was there. Butler was there in 2016. They're good friends, you know. I could see that happening. I could see that happening. Yeah. So here's what Thibodeau said. He said, you have to distinguish what's real and what's not. You never heard any of that come from Jimmy's mouth. It's always a source. Can you you say this in Tibbs' voice, please? (laughs) It's always a source close to Jimmy. I don't know. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Um, Ice! If Jimmy has something to say to someone, he usually says it directly. Yeah. Which is... It's true. I guess, but if we want to... I know Jimmy Butler is not Kawhi Leonard, but that's what everybody said about Kawhi. It yeah. was like, oh, he, we haven't heard any of this from him. Like, who knows what he actually thinks? But What's like, he really going to say, though? Like, before the year, he's going to be like, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm out of here. That's I'm going to pull Paul George. Like, and when oh. there's this much smoke, it's like, yeah. it's almost like he's saying it himself. Because if he's not coming out to, like, flat out deny this stuff, mm-hmm. then I feel like that's sort of a tacit acknowledgement that, yeah, like, this is kind of where I'm at. Right. And I, I just... I mean, even if you watched that team last year, I feel like you could see it, right? Right. And the the parts didn't quite fit together, I think, as well as he was probably thrilled. He, you know, he kept saying about how, oh, I just need to play defense, lead by example. I'm right. like, I know what you mean by that. You mean <laughs> everyone else has to play defense like you? Yeah. Um. And look, if he has an issue with Towns and Wiggins, like Towns and Wiggins are still young enough where they can change their approach and maybe turn around as right. players and but it's of, also a stylistic thing right like yeah of course you know it wasn't it wasn't a great basketball fit either and yeah. i think that might be an even bigger issue because i don't know how good this team can be like the talent is obviously there mm-hmm. like to me they have enough talent to be a you know at least top five team in the west maybe top four like yeah i think they're good enough to do that for sure but uh you know ca- can they figure out the basketball fit like i wonder if if Butler and Wiggins, like their minutes just need to be staggered more mm-hmm. because that didn't really work with the two of them oh, playing oh, hold on. last year. Like, are, are you asking tips to stagger minutes? Because they're all both, both going to play 48 minutes. I don't really see how you can stagger 48 against 48. <laughs> um, by the way, Tibbs also said that he's, quote, very optimistic that Carl Anthony Towns will sign an extension this summer. Um, we talked a little bit uh, just in the office here about whether that's even necessarily prudent or they need to do that immediately. Obviously, they jumped the gun with Wiggins, and I think they regret it a little bit nowadays. I think um, they regret it more than a little bit. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, but, I mean, look, he's it's he's probably worth the max, um, especially based on his potential. But uh, I just think basketball-wise, like, the fit isn't great in terms of all those three guys together. And I think in terms of Minnesota, like, you probably have to look at it in terms of just winning a lot of games in a regular season, which is not guaranteed for Minnesota in, in the slightest, but just winning, like, 50-plus games is not going to be enough to impress Butler. Butler's done that many times in his career. He's won – he was part of that 61-62 win team with the the Bulls and the Derrick Rose MVP uh, season. Like, you know what I mean? Like – Butler's been to the playoffs. He's been past one round. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he needs to actually advance deep into the playoffs in order for him to be convinced that this is the future for him. He also probably needs to see more improvement out of Cat and Wiggins. And this is looking like a long shot, but, I mean, I don't know. I, if, if I were Minnesota, you give it until December. You see where everything is at. If there's any issues that have been resolved, if he's happy or anything like that. If that doesn't happen, you probably try to dial up the Lakers and see what they want to do, right? The Lakers in previous seasons were able to say, you know what, we'll wait because we got draft picks coming. LeBron's going to come eventually. Like, we don't need to make any moves right now. LeBron's there right now, which means their clock starts right now, which means there's actually rental in getting Wiggins, or not getting Wiggins, but getting Butler for half a year um, and also with the possibility of uh, re-signing him and stuff. And so from that perspective, like, you probably have to think about, do we want to trade you know, this half season of Butler for Kyle Kuzma and some filler, right? Like, you probably do that deal if you're um, – if they, Yeah, I mean, if they yeah. are pretty sure that he's going to leave, then, yeah, I would do that deal in a heartbeat. I don't think the Lakers would, though. Like, I think what we You don't think seen, the Lakers would? I feel like what, we, what we've seen from them and, like, what their MO has been, like, they are not really willing to give up much for a rental when, you know, they have this expectation that they're just going to be able to go out and sign these guys as free agents. Okay, look. What? This is the middle of the season. LeBron is playing center like half the game, okay? He's not happy. Um, the team is clearly not great. LeBron is not going to go all out for 82 games. He's just not. He's but I feel like, they've, they're, like they're already approaching this season with the attitude like, we're just going to see what happens, and we're, we're not really expecting much out of this season. Their eye is toward 2019. Like, 
So LeBron's first impression with Laker fans, who are already a little bit tepid on him, is that hey, I'm just gonna like come here and chill from the first year, which is probably gonna be the. He's my not lo- gonna just chill though. Like LeBron doesn't just chill. Like exactly. obviously, so then he needs Butler. <laughs> he doesn't want to wait for another trade deadline where he gets Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson. That's that's, that's not gonna cut it this what time. A, he still made it to the finals last year. He's so in the East. I know, I know, but I'm saying like he wasn't he wasn't chilling last year. Like that's he definitely true. took a ton of plays off defensively. A lot, a lot um, of plays. But two full months. <laughs> but like he was still carrying a ridiculous workload. And I would not describe what he did last year as chilling. That's like true. he he still dragged a, a pretty terrible supporting cast to fifty wins. I'm just saying that the Lakers have more incentive to grab a player now instead of just waiting to free agency as they did in previous years because they have LeBron now. I agree. I just don't. Yeah. I just don't know that I see them doing that. Um, but. Going back to Cat, uh, John Krachinski, who's the Wolves beat writer, uh, writes for The Athletic, was on uh, Nate Duncan's podcast this week, and, and he said that the Wolves have offered that max extension, that it's on the table, uh, but that Cat is basically waiting to sign it because he wants to like retake some control over this situation and kind of exert his influence a little bit by, I guess, making them sweat it out, which is uh, kind of a weird move. I don't really know what point he was making there, but... Like we were talking about off air, I don't. What do you think is sort of the downside risk of just waiting a year until restricted free agency? Like, if you're going to max him out anyway, mm-hmm. I feel like the whole point of signing a guy to a rookie extension is like maybe you can get a bit of a discount because you lock him into this guaranteed money. So, you know, he has more incentive to sign maybe a slightly below market deal or slightly below max deal. But, like, if you're going to give him the max anyway, then what really is the benefit of doing it now as opposed to? waiting a year like getting another season's worth of data points and and just like is he going to turn down a max deal next summer to take a qualifying offer like is he going to be that spiteful and like no no so yeah i mean look i agree with you i think most of it is just goodwill right and like yeah maybe you know you could sell some goodwill but like there's really no point in it like just you could just wait you could just wait especially since like look if wiggins didn't wasn't on this max deal and, you know, he was a restricted free agent this summer. And then, like, yeah, okay, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. Because, like, yeah, I want to keep one of my stars around long term. But now that Wiggins is already on the books, I don't know if you want to stuff it already, right? Especially since it impacts the cap room as well. Like, just just sign up to that. Ex- or just just wait to sign up to the extension. Um, and, yeah, I mean, see how it goes with Butler as well. But, so, look, ultimately, even if you do hurt some feelings, nobody's ever turned down that maximum rookie contract extension. And Towns is not going to be the first guy to do that. Right. So. I mean, I think, look, I understand it with Towns more than I understand it with Booker. Like, I didn't really understand at all why the Suns felt like they needed to lock him up to a max deal now as opposed to waiting or at least trying to get him on, like, a below max deal because he has certainly not proven to this point that he is a max player or is going to be a max player. Cat, I feel like you could make the argument that he has at least shown that, like, he's going to be worthy of that contract. Booker is a guy who's, like, never played on like a you know, more than a 25 win team so and, and again like they the man scored 70 points in a loss how <laughs> right. dare you but like they <laughs> against boss man 99 so ah uh, man uh, so i don't know I don't, I don't really understand this uh this rush to sign some of these guys to max extensions when when they can wait it out or i mean you know in booker's case like they could have had cap space next summer that they're not going to have now because as opposed to just having his cap hold on the books, they're going to have like his $30 million salary. So Yeah. But I mean, that's also the Suns. Like, I think that's the same thing with the Timberwolves, right? Like these markets operate with this very small market mentality of like, there's an anxiety about, well, we want to secure these stars as quickly as we can because we just don't know. We really fear not having that security. And I get that perspective. I really do. But um, Yeah. It's going to be interesting to watch Minnesota because I think also they do have a high upside, like you said. Like, the talent there is really good. And if, honestly, if Wiggins can finally change sort of the one uh, reputation that's dogged him for his entire career, which is that he's too easygoing, he's too laid back, he's not really a guy that, you know, uh, has that quote-unquote Kobe mentality or whatever, or even that Mono Ginobili mentality of wanting to compete. Uh, Maybe he changes that, and maybe if Towns comes back and he's a little bit more willing to play defense and Tibbs is willing to give him more of the ball, like, it could all work out, but also it's very tenuous. Um, speaking of tenuous, let's move over to the, the Eastern Conference where the Philadelphia 76ers uh, made some noise this week. Uh, 
the Sixers GM search, first off, is still ongoing. No one has replaced Brian Colangelo just yet. Um, and by the sounds of it, they might not replace him anytime soon. Uh, the Sixers co-owner, Josh Harris, who seems to be very uh, involved in the proceedings, seems like a, a hands-on owner, um, said that he's, quote, looking for, quote, elite talent. Uh, and by that, you know, he means guys like he chased Daryl Morey from the the Rockets and obviously was turned away. I mean, it's, I don't think anyone's hiring Morey away from the Rockets after, like, uh, 15 years basically of, uh, of success um but um yeah i mean the sixers are going to move forward with their trio of net cohen mark eversley who was actually colangelo's right hand man for the longest time dating back to the days in toronto and also elton brand who is uh you know retired now and a really nice guy and he's running the delaware 87 ers uh which does not sound great whatsoever but um this doesn't seem like a long-term solution it doesn't seem like it should take this long, but it very much seems like they're trying to poach one of the top names, and they could go into the season without a GM, and they've already done free agency without one, and they've already done the draft without one, and quite honestly, it looks like they're going to continue doing that until one of these top guys becomes available, but the issue is, one of these top guys is not going to become available, right? Well, they'd have to just come in with like a godfather offer yeah. to, to poach one of those guys away. So, And who are these guys that we're talking about? Like, Who are the elite GMs in the league? That you I think mean, they're, they're, they define as elite talent. Like Danny Ainge, Masai Ujiri, um, R.C. Buford. Um, like, Maybe even Presti, I don't know. Presti's taking a lot of big swings. Yeah, he I just think, has I, a I think fetish you, I, for I, guys I put, who can't shoot. I would put Presti in that conversation. Like, Yeah, okay. All these guys who are sort of like inextricably linked with the teams that they run, right? Like right. it's really hard to imagine any of those guys going elsewhere, you know, at least until their their contracts with their current teams run up, run out. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I'm kind of surprised, and I don't know if they reached out to David Griffin and he just wasn't interested, but like he's out there. He's got a proven track record mm-hmm. as a guy who can, you know, really, I think, put nice rosters together on the margins. Yep. around elite talent, which the Sixers have. Yeah, uh, good feel track like, record beyond the Cavs too. Like he was with that Suns front office. Yeah, that's right. The Suns he, did really well as well. I feel like that would be a great get, and yeah. he's just out there, you know, like doing podcasts and stuff. Like, hey. <laughs> uh, I feel like so. I don't know. I don't know whether there was a conversation that was had there. I mean, I know it was kind of out there, as at least as like a maybe it was just wishful thinking, but it was sort of a speculative rumor. Like when uh, free agency was just starting, mm-hmm. and you know, nobody really knew yet what LeBron was going to do. Like, the Sixers were maybe on his radar. He has a relationship with David Griffin. It seemed like at that point in time, like, that was going to be just sort of a perfect marriage. But um, I don't know how much better than that they're going to be able to do. Mm-hmm. I, I just... It's fine for them to wait because you said, like, they've already gone through the draft. They've already gone through free agency. Like, they've waited this long. They might as well wait a little while longer because... Right. You know, if if they were in a rush to get a GM, it would have been to get him in place, like for those kind of landmark offseason right. moments. And obviously, the timing, the Colangelo thing, they were blindsided by it, right? So like they couldn't really uh, plan for that in time. But I think, look, it seems to me like it just is a team where the owner wants to have a bigger say in things, and he's going to continue to have a big say in things unless they bring in one of these guys that are quote unquote elite. But the chances are they're probably not going to get a guy who's elite, so they probably will just continue running this operation where the owner is going to be a big part of it. And I think this is not unique to the Sixers by any means. There's a lot of owners that want to get involved, and it's not necessarily always bad. I mean, Mark Cuban, although recent the, worst, the stuff recently out of Dallas really does seem like Mark Cuban should not be involved to that degree because it does not seem like a great workplace culture. Um, but when owners really want to get involved in that way, like – it's always just going to be a struggle, right? It's going to be him versus the GM instead of the, everyone working collectively in tandem. Like, you never hear anything about this, the, the Celtics' ownership being like, well, we want to go this way, but Danny Ainge wants to do this. Like, no, it's just one organization. It's the same thing with the Spurs, right? It's the same thing with even the Raptors, right? Um, and so I, I think that, yeah, I think Philadelphia is going to have trouble there. I mean, like, Josh Harris is part of that meeting that went to go meet with LeBron James, well, at least they thought they were meeting with LeBron James, and they, they end up meeting with some of his, like, they, they end up meeting Mav Carter and um, I don't even know who else. But See, that's the thing. Like, if David Griffin was their GM, like, LeBron probably shows up 
for that meeting yeah. at the very least. Just and I don't like, know hey, if it Dave, ma- what's going on. <laughs> I don't know if it makes a difference as far as like them actually assigning him, but mm-hmm. um, there is just sort of like a marker of credibility that comes with like having a right. permanent, you know, somebody who's running your basketball operations department, not just like on an interim basis. Uh, and I, I don't really know how much it ultimately hurt them this offseason. Like, maybe this was just how it was going to shake out one way or another. But it's just weird because this was kind of a big offseason for them, and it was a mm-hmm. bit of a dud at the end of the day. So Yeah. No, it was more than a bit of a dud. It was a lot of a dud. All right, When you when you link yourself to Kawhi and Paul George and LeBron, and then you end up with Wilson Chandler. It's, it's, <laughs> it's tough. But we should not forget that the Sixers still have uh, promising players like Ben Simmons, reigning rookie of the year um might be coming back with the jumper there's videos that emerged from um the ucla runs shout out rico hines for putting out all this offseason content um where ben simmons showed up looked great looked phenomenal was dunking on everybody and stuff but we already knew he could do that but there were some videos of him shooting jumpers turning around in the post and by videos i mean stretching the s in that videos by a lot because i think it was like three jumpers it doesn't matter um you know, Ben Simmons had said previously in the summer that uh, working on his jump shot is going to be a primary focus for him. Um, you know, he, he's, he's going to try to make minor adjustments instead of scrapping the whole shot. Um, how good do you think the Sixers can be if one of Fultz or Simmons comes back with a functional jumper? I think they could be really, really good. Like, they were quite good last year with, you know, neither of those guys having any semblance of a jumper whatsoever like how many threes did they even attempt between the two of them last year Simmons shot 11 threes and missed all of them and I think some of them were like half court a bunch of them were half court heaves right like um and I don't think Fultz attempted a three obviously he didn't play that many games but Fultz's elbow would not allow him to shoot the ball more than six feet last season yeah so was it his elbow or his shoulder I think it was his shoulder but it's hard to say you gotta ask uh, but I think you gotta ask Barbara Bottini right But I think also, like, it was more than just a physical issue for him, right? Like, it was... um, So, yeah, I I think, you know, look, they're already a very good team. And one of those guys... I don't think either of them is going to come back and be, like, a knockdown jump shooter, right? Like, I mean, Fultz does have a track record of doing that. Like, Simmons has never been a shooter, right? He never had Simmons has a track... uh, Sorry, Fultz has a track record of doing that. But he's also basically starting from scratch, right? Because really is, Because his mechanics... at the end of last season, were completely different than what they were, right. uh, you know, his his lone season in Washington. So, if he's going to rebuild that jump shot, it really does seem like he's starting from a point where he doesn't have one, and not mm-hmm. like you know he's starting from a point where oh he just needs to like get back to doing what he was doing before. Like I don't think it's that easy. It's crazy how the Sixers promised that Fultz was going to be this James Harden type, and he came in as Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> oh anyway, just God. keep going. No, but like he he has all the other tools. I think he does be, have all the other tools. You know, to be like a, a an elite talent. Like he he's physical. Like he's athletic. He's um, incredibly athletic. Yeah. Like so, there's not a lot of videos of him shooting jumpers, folks. Uh, but in the off season, the dunks that he's thrown down are kind of insane. Although I would say that the way he lands is a kind of a concern. He kind of collapses on his landings a lot and it makes me concerned about his knees but whatever man this, he's young yeah yeah i mean i feel like westbrook does that too it's just like uh, yeah, what happens true. when you dunk with that much force and you westbrook know, had really... leg issues true but he's fine <laughs> like he's fine now yeah. he, he's also maybe not human like his his ability to bounce back from those injuries is actually insane by the way speaking of guys that looked really good at the ucla runs russell westbrook has bulked up now and he his upper body is like uh, really built up, but now he's taking contact like crazy. No one wants to get in the way of Russell Westbrook in the first place, but he's just dominating these runs while wearing. Yeah, nobody wants to get in Russell outfits. Westbrook's way when you're playing like a pickup game in the dead of yeah, summer, either. Exactly. Um, but Fultz, like, I just think he could get back there, you know, to the point where he has. He shot forty percent from three in his in his season yeah. in college. Like, I don't know that he's ever going to shoot forty percent from three in the NBA, but like. It's going to be incremental, the progress. So what I'm saying is, like, you know, him and Simmons could both come back with improved jumpers this year, but I don't think either of them is going to be an elite shooter for a number of years, if ever. You know, I think it's going to take a lot of work, and it's going to be a really incremental progress. So I think even just a a small improvement in that area, like, for both of them, Mm -hmm. could make a big difference just because even if defenses aren't respecting their jump shots if they can at least make defenses pay a little bit for ignoring them completely on the perimeter then that's still an improvement i think so yeah i think i would even take it a step further all right all Simmons really needs to do 
is just hit free throws. He shot 56% from the free throw line last year, and I think there was a hesitation for him in terms of how willing he was to continue being aggressive in the fourth quarter because he didn't want to get fouled because he doesn't feel confident in his jumper. And, like, that's one of the main issues the Sixers have is, like, more than just a go-to guy because their system really does, you know, fill in a lot of the gaps for sort of the need for a guy that's going to run pick and roll all the time. They don't run pick and roll pretty much ever. Um, but the Sixers, like, they need a guy who can close games. And, like, when you watch that Heat series, it was really weird. One guy, you know, who closed a lot of games for them? J.J. Redick was taking a lot of tough shots. But J.J. Redick is not a closer. He's a guy that's going to space the floor and hit an open shot. He's not a guy that you're going to specifically run offense for all the time. Um, and they need one of Simmons or Fultz to be that guy. And Simmons can't be that guy if he doesn't want to get fouled, right? Like, that's just like a fundamental thing that you need to be a closing guy unless you're a big man um you need to be willing to still drive with the same uh, verve and you know be confident stepping up to the line when you're shooting 56 percent, that's an issue so look you don't need to come back with a three-point shot or anything like that just come back with a jumper you can hit 75 percent of it and teams are not already not gonna be able to stop you because you're already six foot ten you're already like insanely athletic um and you know with and Bede spacing the floor a little bit from the center spot as well. Well, that's the thing, right? And like, Embiid, Embiid's, like, probably the best shooter out of all of those guys. Yeah, which is and not great. Not great. <laughs> like, if there's a chance of one of those guys coming back and being, like, an elite three-point shooter or, like, an above-average three-point shooter, it's probably Embiid. Yeah. He, he took a step back last year, but his rookie season, he shot, like, 37 38% from three. Yeah. And, you know, for, for Simmons to be successful, like... When Embiid wasn't there last year, like those games that he missed, mm-hmm. the Sixers were winning all of them. Obviously, you know, the competition wasn't great. Got but, a lot softer, yeah. But they succeeded because they were able to invert the floor. You mm-hmm. know, with Simmons kind of operating out of the post and like guys it, cutting and spacing Ilyasova the floor around being him. out there. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if that is really going to work if like Embiid, you know, is settles in as like a 30% three-point shooter mm-hmm. and Fultz is also out there on the floor like they're they're not going to be able to run that kind of inversion style offense I don't think so yeah I don't know it's going to be interesting to see with like how they figure that out yeah I mean look we know Embiid is skilled and he could definitely shoot it's just an issue of like conditioning for Embiid right like I don't think he can sustain himself for the course of the regular season where he's got to play twenty or 2,000 plus minutes or he's over 30 minutes a game. He pretty much has like 20 to 25 good minutes in him every single night. And then the rest of it is just kind of like he'll be tired and start doing DeMarcus Cousins stuff where he's going to turn the ball over in four shots. But um, I don't know. Sixers are very interesting. There's a lot of question marks there. But, um, you know, that's a very, very talented team for sure. Let's finish with uh the teams are going to regress but before we move into that uh a friendly reminder to support the show first and foremost okay um do so by rating us five stars on itunes if you haven't already please do it um you know but you can find the show wherever soundcloud i think you can like the post on soundcloud which is nice i just i don't know if that necessarily helps our metrics it's just nice to to look at people liking the post um and also Please support the other podcast that we have on the Score Network now. Um, we got uh, Expand the Zone. Uh, you know, I'm not a big baseball guy anymore because the Blue Jays are so depressing. But um, you it's know, a great pod. It's a great podcast for sure. Um, you know, Sweeper Keeper. I'm a huge uh, footy fan, so uh, those guys are clutch. I think they're going to record an episode later today, so look out for that. Um, you know, we got the Fantasy Football Podcast now with uh, Justin Boone, who is. Uh, a foremost expert in terms of uh, fantasy football and it's probably going to be more to come so check out for that and also last plug last plug all right download the score app uh it's your one-stop shop for everything from podcast content to news content breaking news um you you know subscribe to the alerts we're going to get you um the news as soon as it breaks on twitter um and you know our features are up there too um, and we got coverage of all sorts of sports. Pretty much every sport that you can imagine, we got that. So down the score app, listen to the podcast, support the podcast. And finally, we're going to move into our regression teams. Um, we're going to pick one team from each conference each uh, and talk about why they're going to take a step back this year. I'm going to start with your Pacers. Uh, I'm sorry. Don't do it to me, man. I'm sorry. But uh, look, I think part of my thing was why I think the Pacers can regress, which they won 48 games last year, is I just don't know what they're good at. And I keep coming back to this idea of like, if you're not good at 
anything necessarily, then like, why are you a good team, right? Like they were twelfth on both offensive defense last year. They won forty eight games, which is a little bit overperforming their sort of season expectations based on um, uh, sort of just their rankings and stuff. But I think one thing that really stuck out with me is that the Pacers are really good in crunch time, right? They were the third in the league in terms in of net rating and crunch time, and I think a lot of that came down to Old Depot being really clutch. But I also think that teams are going to be more prepared for the. Uh, Pacers next season, they're going to understand where they're going to, you know, generate offense from. Um, they're going to be better equipped to uh, to stop it. And I'm just generally skeptical of these one-star teams, man. I, I really am because especially when it's built around a guard, you could double them come crunch time uh, and force other people to make plays. And I don't really know if the rest of that team is going to shoot as well as they did last year because, um, you know, they did shoot absurdly well in mid-range. So they did get you know, Doug McDermott, but I'm not even sure if he's going to close games for them. They got Tyreek, who was a good shooter last year, but I, I don't know overall he's a good shooter. So I, I I have some reason to be skeptical about the Pacers, especially since they're not good at rim defense either, despite being a big team. They were bottom 10 in rim protection. They were not a good rebounding team. They were, you know, in the bottom half of the league. And I don't know, man. I, I just don't see what makes the Pacers so good. So that's why I'm saying they're a regression team. I, I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were last year. I'm not going to debate you on this. Like, you know my feelings about the Pacers. I'll just say I think there is a lot of value in not being bad at anything. Okay. That's um, fair. I feel that way about the Pacers, and I think you might be underrating the Tyreek acquisition a little bit because I do think that that was one of the things that they were really lacking last year was like secondary playmaking. That's true. He gives them that. I I don't know if he's going to shoot as well as he did last year. That would be incredible for Indiana yeah, if he I could. Mean, he low-key scored 20 points a game and shot 40% from three. He shot 40% from three on five and a half attempts per game. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're talking about like high volume, high efficiency, and... Is look, he going to come off the bench, though? That much I don't know. I mean, I, I think he might, but... Whether should. whether or not he does, I still think there's going to be a lot of overlap where you know where he's probably closing games alongside Oladipo, right? Okay, I, I would think, and I think they could even go with kind of like three guard lineups with him, Oladipo, and Collison all out there closing the game, and that could be really effective, right? You know, kind of like have Tyreek, uh, sorry, uh, Thaddeus at the four, and one of Turner or Sabonis at the five. Like that's a it's pretty strong closing lineup, I think, bad. with uh, with some versatility and a lot of playmaking. So, um. I like the construction of their team. I know they didn't shoot a ton of threes last year, but I feel like they're going into the season with the idea that they're going to shoot more of them. Right. I mean, because Tyreek's going to be there. They got McDermott. They pursued um, JJ Redick. Right. Like the, I think yeah. they know that they need to shoot more threes, and and they're going to make that more of a focus of their offense this year. So, and and look, I think they have they have the defensive capability to be at least like in the top half of the league. Yeah. And I think okay. offensively they can easily be top 10. So, you know, if they do that, if they have like a, an above average defense and a top 10 offense, I think you're looking at like a close to 50 win team. Mm. So I, I don't necessarily see them regressing unless they have injury issues, which is possible. But like, um, yes, they're technically a one-star team, but I feel like the depth and the, the kind of competency of the players around Oladipo is such that you know that, that they can elevate that team to being something more than just like a one guy dragging eleven guys to like a respectable record. I think I think they're more than that, and uh, I think roster construction is really important. And I do like the roster construction of that team. So, okay, uh, who out of the East do you think will regress this upcoming season? I think the Heat probably, and like if we're looking at who made the playoffs last year in the East and somehow made the six seed. Yeah, like, I mean, the Cavs, obviously, like, I, you know, I could yeah, pick the course. Cavs, but everybody knows the Cavs are going to yeah. regress, so there's something really to talk about It's really there. just about how much the Cavs will regress, Yeah, but uh, we've talked about that also in previous podcasts. Um, so. But I just think, so, the, I, you know, look, the Cavs are probably going to fall out, um, and I'd say the Pistons are probably the best bet to jump in, so maybe that's all that happens, maybe all the other playoff teams stay the same. But if you were going to argue that there might be another East team that jumps into the playoff picture and another team that falls out, I feel like the Heat would be my pick to fall out just because, mm. again, like they don't like they don't really have any top end talent, right? No. And Dragic was their only All Star last year, and that's only after like four guys got injured, and this is even one of his best years. No, he and, he's, and he's getting older, you know. Yeah, like he's, he's, I think he's the kind of guy who I feel like once he. He's super physical and and he's pretty crafty as well. So maybe he's the kind of guy who can survive like a little bit of a dip in his athleticism. But like he's also gotten by on speed for a really long time. He's gotten and by on the push-offs. 
Let me just tell the truth about Goran Dragic. Okay? He's going to drive. He's going to push off his right arm, and he's going to finish his. It's life. extraordinary, man. And like he's really even said, um, like on the record before, he's like, "Yeah, I just do it every time down the floor." And like, <laughs> Yo, if I do true. it every time, they can't call it every time. It looks like he's deaccelerating, but what he's actually doing is pushing his man out of the way while he's stopping to go up for a layup. Yeah, but I just think if they want to remain, you know, a kind of middle of the pack playoff team. Mm-hmm. They they need like Josh Richardson to grow into you know like a borderline all star I think, which um, I, I don't really see happening by the way I, I just he was, don't he's just not a consistent offensive guy like no. he's not he's I really like Josh Richardson yeah. like I think he would be a perfect third option on like Four. on like a contending team fourth option I think he I think he's good enough to be better better than okay. a fourth option but um like. I, I don't know who who's making that team go at the end of the day. I mean, you're not a Justice Winslow fan. I just don't. He showed flashes. I thought in the playoffs. he did, and and I mean the fact that he shot like above forty percent from three last year is really encouraging. Yep, but he doesn't sure. have a whole lot of in between to his game. So yeah. again, you're looking at a guy who's like a could be a really valuable role player. Mm-hmm. You know, like a high end three and D guy. Right. But you know, where is the in between coming from? You right. know, like, and, and obviously their big rotation is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. I like Bam Adebayo a lot because yep. he is incredibly mobile. Like he can pass, I think better than a lot of people realize. Yeah. Uh, and he can kind of bully guys down low. So he has a really interesting skill set. Olenek has turned into a really nice player. Yeah. Olenek's the nice. They have all these like nice pieces mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, I, I think of them as being sort of like the Brooklyn Nets, but like, Three years further along, basically, with a lot better coaching, I thought too. Yes, I, I mean, shout out my my guy Spo. I think he's gonna wring the most out of his team, like he always does. Like we forget that this guy took like, I mean, obviously there was Dwayne Wade, but it was like Michael Beasley and like really starting to decline. Udonis Haslam and Carlos Arroyo to like the playoffs, like the fourth seed and stuff. And um, you know, Spo has just consistently had this track record of getting the most out of his players. But even yeah, I, I agree. I think the look. The one thing that concerns me about the Heat is that they made no changes whatsoever. Right. None. None. And so, all right, fine. You don't make any changes. But it's not like you have a young team that's like on the upswing. Some of the major guys, right? If you would rank the most impactful contributors to Heat wins, it would be Dragic. It would be James Johnson. Um, and then, who knows, really, the rest of the, that down the line. Um, but James Johnson is also starting to decline a little bit. I mean, he... You know, obviously, really perked up in Miami. He's really loved it there. He signed another contract there, and he's it's great. It's a great comeback story. He lost a lot of weight in Miami, as people do when they go to Miami. Um, but I mean, you know, like he's also showing signs of decline. And then when you look at the rest of that team, like it's not. I don't know, man. They're they're always more than the sum of their parts, but the parts are really lackluster right now. And, yeah. and so. Uh, Man, I mean, I, I again, like, I could see them being great defensively because Spo's teams are always grinders defensively, but that team is going to struggle to score. Yeah, man. they have the talent to be good defensively too. Like, they have yeah. a, a lot of good defenders on that team, Versatile. but I, I don't know how they score. They don't have really any point guard depth. Like behind Dragic, who do they have? Like they, Tyler Johnson, baby, twenty million dollar man, Tyler Johnson, right. getting slandered <laughs> in fake WNBA quotes. Yeah, the internet is <laughs> the, the internet oh is God. crazy. It's incredible in, in, in man. August, man. Incredible fake quote from Brittany Griner. Just yeah. like I, who who comes up with that quote? Like somebody who just wanted an excuse <laughs> to dump on Tyler Johnson. I think it was actually a Heat fan that made that. Um, but uh, but yeah, he's really making twenty million. Okay, yeah, it's wild. Um, um, I think you know, and they did this a lot last year. Like in some of those lineups without Dragish, they basically will just let James Johnson run point, which right. is. You know, he's a solid ball handler and passer, but he, yeah. I don't think he's necessarily the guy that you want running your offense on like a full-time basis. So, yeah. um, you know, if Dragic goes down with an injury, I don't know. Like, I feel like they'd be in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, but they got Deion Waiters back, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, who knows what he's going to look like coming off coming off of that injury, right? He missed basically all of last season. So, I don't have a ton of faith in Miami. And, look, if I had to... Uh, if I had to pick another team other than the Cavs to fall out of the playoff picture, it's definitely them. Yeah. Luckily, there are no other good teams in the Eastern Conference. That's right. So I think they'll still make the playoffs. Um, okay. Going out west, I'm going to pick the Clippers. Um, and I think the Clippers kind of really did overachieve last year a little bit. Um, I don't really know what Doc Rivers said to that team, but I think it was actually one of his finest coaching jobs. I mean, he's obviously had a long and illustrious career. Um, but I thought last year he really did – do a great job of motivating that team. That team played extremely hard down the stretch. Didn't have too much reason to, to be honest, but they played really hard. They got career years out of Lou Williams. Uh, Tobias Harris came in and was impactful. Um, 
you know, then they honestly, they dealt with that, obviously, that, that huge trade in the middle of the season when Blake Griffin got dumped in, in Detroit. Um, but, you know, they got through it, and honestly, they were they, they were really, really scrappy. Um, and I think that could all apply this year, but I just don't really see the motivation behind this team. I mean, look, one of the issues that stands out to me immediately is that the whole team basically expiring. So they got Gortat randomly. He's expiring. Uh, Tobias Harris already turned down an extension. He's expiring. He's gonna, obviously, he's looking forward to free agency. Mils Teodosic is expiring. They almost bought him out this year. Patrick Beverly is expiring. He's coming off injury. Who knows what he does? Boban's expiring. He's just a lovable giant man. Uh, you know, Wesley Johnson's expiring. Uh, Mbamute is on a one-year deal back with the Clippers for some reason. I mean... They're going to have like $80 million in cap space next yeah, year, right? Exactly, right? They're clearly trying to empty the shelf and welcome Kawhi Leonard plus whoever else um, that they inevitably miss on. Um, but, like, I don't really see the motivation in this team anymore because, like, look, the whole team is on an expiring deal. Like, everyone's going to be going out for their own agendas. And, like, Doc Rivers is going to need to basically replicate last year's success and to even a larger degree. And so. With the West getting even deeper than it was last year, I don't really see the Clippers being as successful as they were last year because I couldn't even believe that team was a 500 team last year, let alone over 500. Yeah, I think that it definitely makes sense. And also, you know, they lost DeAndre and yeah. they they sent out Austin Rivers for Gortat, which is, yeah. I mean, they needed a big body, obviously. But yeah, I, and, and even Montrez Harrell, right? Like he is coming off a knee injury, right? And they re-signed him and it was a nice deal. And I like Montrez and he, I thought he was a monster before he got hurt, but... It's not good. No, I like Harold a lot, uh, but I, I just don't think he has the profile to be like to play starters minutes. You no. know, like he, he's, he's always going to be kind of like an energizer who is perfect in that role, but you know, not the kind of guy who you're looking to to um, to like be like a, like a fulcrum on really either end of the floor for 25 to 30 minutes a game. Um, I I think a lot will just come down to how their rookies perform. Like Shea, I think looked really good in summer league. So yeah. Uh, Maybe that keeps them relevant, but he's super skinny though. He needs to, he needs to fill out a little bit before right. he's a consistent contributor. Yeah. So same thing with Jerome Robinson. Yeah, I don't know. Jerome Robinson's that's what a generic kind of a, name. Kind of a weird pick. It's a generic <laughs> name, man. Um, but I mean, I maybe that that probably had something to do with them trading Austin. Right? Was the fact yeah. that they got these two guards in the draft? So which, by the way, it's not a big deal to trade Austin in the big picture. However, I thought Austin Rivers was actually quite good for the Clippers last year. He I is. He was like, he's really a, he's good, a solid man. defender, um, yeah. and I think he probably calls his own number a little bit too often offensively. But yeah, It's fine. As, as a bench guy, and, and look, if you're going to play defense off the bench too, like he was basically a premium Patrick Beverly last year, which right. I actually, you know, shouts to him for, you know, carving they, that career out for him. They still have Beverly, right? I know. I'm just saying he was a premium version of him. Yeah, like, yeah. And but, so Beverly's going to come he's back, coming but back and coming off ACL injury. Like, it's... yeah. You know, I mean, if if Beverly can be the guy that he was before he got injured, that is a huge addition. Like he's a, a really underrated player um, who can space the floor on offense. Like he's he's more of an off ball guard than than like a playmaking point guard. But mm-hmm. his defense, like and, and just like the fact that he can knock down threes, is like makes him I think extremely valuable. So I wouldn't sleep on that that addition. Uh, I just. Um, Again, like you were saying, there the, the West has, is so so deep, and you're looking at it like if there are, you could say there are two teams that probably have a good chance of jumping into the playoff picture, and it's Denver and the Lakers. I don't think the Clippers belong in that group. No. no. Um, oh, oh, by the way, uh, Beverly did not have an ACL injury; he tore his meniscus. But okay, yeah, it still sucks. Anyway, yeah. um, you want to talk about the Blazers? Let's 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 dump on the Blazers some more. <laughs> I love dumping on the Blazers. I don't want to dump on them. It's just like they finished. Because I, I like, I like the team. I like them. They've yeah. been the same team for five years. Okay, well, I, we, we, you know, watch and occasionally cheer for the Raptors, who had the same team for five years. So maybe I'm a little bit more sympathetic to... Uh, the Raptors now have Kawhi Leonard yeah. and have actual prospects that actually <laughs> contribute to the roster. And the Well, that's where the Blazers, I think, have really whiffed, right? It's like <laughs> yep, not... they've whiffed a lot. Not uh, not drafting well enough to kind of have a contingency in place or, or to fill out the roster around their dynamic backcourt, which... Remember Noah Vonley? Yes, I remember Noah Vonley. The gold crown jewel piece that they got back for Nick Batum was Noah Vonley. Yeah. Um, That, yeah, obviously didn't work out great. Um, I mean, Zach Collins, who knows? Uh, They they like Zach Collins. They like Zach Collins. I just, I don't know, man. Like, I I don't see him as, like, really raising their floor. 
And it sucks because there you he could become better than Myers Leonard. Cheese. Let's hope that he becomes better than Myers Leonard. I hope man. so too, actually. Um But like I'm not one of these guys who buys into, like, they need to trade one of Dame or McCollum. Like, that backcourt is never going to work. I don't think that's true. Mm -hmm. Those guys are both awesome. And if they can just, like, make the pieces fit around them, then I think that team could continue to be really good. I just don't see it really happening this year. And that team finished third in the West last year. I would be shocked if that happened again. I would be pretty shocked, honestly, if they won 49 games again, which they did last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, what did they do this offseason? They lost Ed Davis, who was, like, sneakily a pretty important part of their defense, which was sneakily a big reason why they were third in the West last year. Like, they had a top-ten defense, which... Came apart in the playoffs. <laughs> it came apart in the playoffs. I mean... Look, it, it was, a, it was a, that, like, first of all, that was a terrible matchup for them. And second of yeah. all, like, the, the Pelicans went off in that series. Like, oh, they did, Drew Holiday was insane in that series. Like, Rondo like was insane in that game. series. Like, yeah. Um, and obviously, AD... AD ate, just ate, ate their lunch, yeah. which he was always going to do. But like, I mean, it was a terrible matchup for them, right? Like, it, it, like the Pelicans were really good at perimeter defense and shutting down three point shooters, and they had the guards to specifically do that. Yeah. And the Blazers, I mean, low key, like don't have great playoff performers. I think it's just an issue with smaller guards in the playoffs. It's like, no, but the it's an issue. Physicality is tough. It's an issue with guard oriented teams that yeah. also don't have like other playmakers on the wing to kind of help them out. Right? Well, like, they're really the Raptors. That's what it, that really they the are. Like that's, that's exactly what happened with the Raptors for so long. Yeah. Like, you don't really have a release valve, and those guards get trapped, and it's like, what do you really do? Like, the, you, and, and I know, like, Damon CJ didn't really come through, but mm-hmm. I feel like they needed a bit more help, and they, they definitely didn't get it this offseason. You know, like, they got right. Seth Curry, which he's a nice shooter, but he's also coming off, like, a significant knee injury, so... I don't like who knows what he's going to look like. Uh, they lost Shabazz Napier, who again was sneakily pretty good last year. Yep. Um, Even I, Pat Connaughton was actually solid. Yeah. And they replaced him with Nick Stauskas, which again is just a really like for likes replacement. But also like Connaughton has accomplished more than Nick Stauskas has, which is uh, a little bit depressing from the man from Mississauga. But um, just a weird off season from them. I yeah, think. but I mean, look, I think it, the issue is like they they cuffed themselves to this roster. In 2016, when they sign all these big contracts, yeah. right, and like yeah. they haven't been able to do anything, and that's why they keep making these moves where they're really shedding talent from their team. Um, you know, you got Evan Turner; he's on the books for 18 million next year. The year after that, 18.6, all guaranteed. They re-signed Nurkic, but they have to, right? They have no other like starting quality big men, really. Um, Mo Harkless, they they re-signed him. Myers Leonard, they re-signed him. Those two guys, they honestly they don't need like those guys are contributors, but just not at those. At those numbers, it's it's not really worth it. Aminu is actually probably the only guy they have on a discount, and he's about to expire after this coming season. Uh, and then, you know, like you said, man, the young guys haven't really developed into pieces that they can use uh, in terms of as immediate contributors, right? Like, you look at guys like Swanigan, Caleb Swanigan. That's like, all right. Jake Lehman. It's not really going to do him. much. Jake Lehman, they still have him. I mean, cool. He's a dunker. I mean, all right. Um, but, like, you know, it's just weird. Like, And then they lost guys like Alan Crabb, who are like contributors or whatever. And that's not necessarily their own fault because his contract was just so big. But, I mean, still, what like... What do you mean? That is their own fault. They signed him to that contract. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I, yeah, exactly. But the issue is they've stuffed the cap so much that they can't get extra help. And you mentioned quite, Evan Turner yet? Oh, yeah. Let's mention him again. Let's mention him again. Evan Turner. 18 million next year. Enjoy him, Blazers fans. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think... I don't know, man. I also just think that eventually teams, like, run their course, right? Like, this is not an old team necessarily, but it's not a young team anymore either. It's not an up-and-coming team. It's a team that's already sort of established themselves as what they are, and what they are is just not good enough to truly compete in the playoffs. And a lot of teams end up this way, and a lot of great players end up in situations where they're like this. And, you know, if that continues, then maybe you see some noise about trades we're starting to see it a little bit already but that's coming from the outside but um it's just motivation like right how much is damon cj gonna be motivated when they come on the court and it's seth curry with them it's like all right cool so we now have another third terrible defender to go along with the two of us so i don't think seth curry is a terrible defender um but it's not good good. here's what i'll say like uh, let's take for granted that the nuggets and the Lakers are going to jump into the playoff picture. Right. Who they do have think? a better defense than the Nuggets. Yeah, so that's but, good. but the Nuggets are going to be like an elite offensive team, yeah, I think. exactly. They will. So who are the two teams that are falling out to you? In the West? Yeah. 
Ah, man, I, I hate to do this to the Spurs, but I, I low-key feel like the Spurs might have wow. a lot of trouble coming back to the playoffs. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I think the Blazers are kind of like a no-brainer pick, honestly. Mm. Mm. I mean, maybe the Pelicans, actually. Like, they, nah, could, no, they no. could flop. They're good. They're good. They're good, but they like... They figured it they, out. They figured it out. As long as Anthony Davis plays more than 70 games, they're, they're in the playoffs. Yeah? Yeah. And he's been low-key healthy for a while, so... True. Yeah. Um, it's always good when you're low-key healthy. Right. That's supposed to be the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I don't know. I can't really confidently pick a second team, but I feel like I can pretty confidently say that I don't think the Blazers are going to make the playoffs in the West next year, which is crazy wow. because they're still a good team. But like, yeah. there's just so much. Like, there are ten teams who are who are you know would be probably like four seeds in the East. Yeah. Um. There's a lot of there, there's just like a lot of depth in the Western Conference, and I don't I don't know. I don't see how the Blazers can replicate what they did last year. Yep. I agree with you there. All right. Uh, I think that does it for the podcast. Again, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, another reminder to please support the show and also download the Score app. Um, and we'll fun. So this is great. Yeah, man. This is as much off-season content as we can put out, man. I think we do well. This has been great. Also, check out our features. All right. Yeah. Read my tennis content, please. Please read Joe Wolfon's <laughs> tennis content. I'm not kidding when I say this. Joe Wolfon is one of the best tennis writers alive. Um and yeah read his coverage of the u.s open so with that that does it for this week's show we'll be back with more pound the rock next week 